Do you ever feel like you've missed out? Like your opportunity has passed? As if the wave to experience a full life has rolled out to sea, knowing it's gone for good. Missing one wave doesn't mean you've missed the rest. A new wave is coming. God is moving. Will you trust the wave maker? Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, before I hop right into our final week in the wave, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this coming week, all right, not tomorrow, but the week after that, the 16th, we are starting up community groups back up. We're starting a new study uh, that we've done here at Bethel. I'm very, very excited for it. And so what we are asking everybody to do, if you are a part of a community group, uh, if you're not part of a community group and you want to be, if you're already in one, everybody go ahead and sign up, mybethel.cc slash CG community group, super complicated system we've got here. All right, go online, sign up. We want everybody to be connected to a group. It is so much fun, and life is hard. We do not need to go at it alone. We need each other. If you're not a part of a community group, please get connected. Uh, you will enjoy it. You will enjoy the fellowship. You'll enjoy being challenged. It is a great thing to be a part of community. All right, I got that out of the way. That was, uh, that's the only housekeeping for today. All right, so like Ruben said, we are in the final week of the wave. We looked at engaging the waves uh, God is sending. Uh, we don't want to simply go to the beach and admire the waves. We want to get out into it and experience God moving. We just don't want to look at it. We want to experience God moving. And so as we wrap up today, we're going to look at engaging the next generation. And we're going to uh, be hopping through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 9. If you've got your YouVersion uh, Bible app, you can go down to the bottom there, hit more, go to events, and it'll have all these verses ready for you uh, in that. So we've been looking at the different waves that God is calling us to catch. And my prayer is that right now you've been challenged over these past five weeks and that you are riding wave God has sent your way. And I'm, I'm so excited that you... You're, you're riding a, God, a, way, a way of God sent to you. I'm so excited that, that that's where you're at. Uh, but there's something really important, and I think we have to acknowledge this. Uh, every wave is eventually going to hit the beach. Every wave is going to come to the shore at some point. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that. Every wave reaches a point where you can no longer uh, ride it. And too often when we think about God... Uh, sending something our way, we put a lot of emphasis on the here and now, but not nearly enough emphasis on the when and the then. Like, when this wave is over, then what? And, and God will do great things in you, and God will do great things through you, but you have to remember, there is a wave that is going to come after you. Are you prepared for the next wave? Uh, when I was in high school, uh, my family, we took this trip to Hawaii, uh, it was an awesome trip, and the, the first day that we went to the beach there, we drove to this uh, that kind of somewhat remote beach, I guess. It wasn't really close to where we were at, and it was awesome. Uh, you could see forever. There was, like, no cove or anything, so it was just the ocean rolling in. Um, so the waves were a little bigger than usual. I got a picture I'm going to show you. This is my brother and I. <clears throat> this is a few years ago, so this was on a really nice camera then. Uh, and it looks terrible now, uh, but you can see us, we're like, you know, 
excited. Um, and my dad is just stalling to take this picture until this exact moment. Right, our eyes are fixed on him. He's taking a while because he wants to get that good picture. He wants to get that wave right behind us. I'm about six foot tall, so that's like a six foot wave coming at us. And uh, that six foot wave absolutely just demolished us. All right, I honestly got up and I was so yeah. There's the after right, a little little saline rinse for you. Uh, but I honestly got up. I was so mad because I thought my brother had just speared me. And I was like, why would you do that? It, you know, it was the wave, all right? Uh, and here's the deal. Uh, there's always another wave coming. There's always another wave coming. And when you don't see that next wave coming, I, I, I've experienced it, it will take you out. But there is always another wave coming. And a lot of the times we are so focused on the wave that God is calling us to right here and now, we don't focus on the when and the then for that next generation. So like I said, we're going to be in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, we're starting in chapter 9, and we see God moving, he's making waves. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of scripture here, just kind of hit the high notes. We're going to get kind of an overview uh, of Saul, who is the first king of Israel, all the way to that transition to David. And so uh, we start there in 1 Samuel 9, uh, verse 5. And the people are wanting a king. And Saul, uh, he uh, is doing some work for his dad. Doing some work for his dad. Saul's dad had a donkey that had strayed away. And he sent his son and a servant to go find it. And they go searching a long way for the donkey. They can't find it. And so Saul says to his servant, let's go home. By now my father is more worried about us than about the donkeys. All right. This is the, the future king. We, first time we find him, he's looking for donkeys, right? Kind of an interesting setup here. So Saul and his servant go, uh, and his, he's, Saul wants to go home, but his servant says, hey, there's this prophet Samuel, and everything that he says comes to happen. Everything that he says comes to be true. We should go see him because we're close. And, and so they go to Samuel to see what Samuel has to say to them. And uh, here's what Samuel, the prophet, says to Saul and his servant. He says, don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of Israel's hopes. It's 1 Samuel 9.20. He was out looking for a donkey. All right. He's out looking for a donkey. They go and see a prophet, and the prophet's like, you know what? You and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. He's out working for his dad looking for a donkey. You're going to be the focus of the hopes of all of Israel. Just think about that for a minute. Uh, and, and I think Saul's response would be a lot like us. He, re he replied, I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. My family is the least important of all the families in our tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? So God's sending this wave to him, and his response is, me? Like, I have no reason to be the focus of the hopes of all Israel. Why would you send this to me? He can't believe it. He can't believe that God would use him as king. And he's truthfully a little afraid of the job. But we fast forward a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they've got these people, and they say, Saul's going to be the king, and they can't find him. He's literally hiding from his duties. All right, so they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. 
It's 1 Samuel 10, 22. Uh, they get him out, and then Samuel declares that he is the man God has chosen as Lord. So in short order, he goes from searching for a lost donkey, hiding in some baggage, king of Israel. Uh, yeah, that escalated pretty quickly, all right? You're working for your dad, just grabbing the, the lost donkey, and now you're hiding from your duties, and it's like, no, we found him, all right? Yeah, you're still the guy, even though you were hiding in the baggage, king of Israel. And then it goes on, uh, and it says, uh, you know, Saul, he, he went from doing that to the king, so he's not exactly fully equipped to do this by himself, and so God blesses him with a group of men. It says, the men around Saul had hearts that God had touched. God knew Saul would need help. And he gave him exactly what he needed to ride that wave. He surrounded him with people. And this, this verse, 1 Samuel 10, 27, this is just a bonus. But there were some scoundrels who complained, how can this man save us? And it says, but Saul ignored them. All right, when you're riding away from God, you, you don't need to listen to the people on the beach. All right, you, you don't need to listen to the people on the beach. When God's given you a purpose, all right, that is what it is all about. And so Saul, he's 30 years old when he became king. He reigned for 42 years, and that sounds amazing, 42 years as king. And truthfully, most of that time is prosperity. It's a good time. What a wave to ride. And at some point in there in that 42 years, uh, Saul, he uh, battles the Amalekites. He defeats them, and God has one command for him, one command. Destroy everything from the Amalekites. That's the one command. But Saul and his men destroyed only what they thought was worthless or of poor, poor quality, right? So basically, they did what they thought was right. Like God told them to get rid of everything, and they did what they thought was right. And so when this happens, Samuel comes to Saul to confront him, and he says this, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering, than offering the fat of rams. I think a lot of times we get caught up in that, all right? Maybe, maybe we don't want to sacrifice rams, all right, or have burnt offerings. We're probably not there. But God doesn't want religious activity. He wants obedience. And that's really easy for us to get mixed up. And it's so simple, all right? He doesn't want activity. He wants obedience. Our Father wants us to listen to him and then do what he says. And Saul, since he didn't do as God had instructed, uh, God sends Samuel to anoint a, a young man named David to be the future king. And, and David, he serves in Saul's court as a musician to play the harp to calm him down. All right, uh, David, he, he kind of has these like mood swings. He needs somebody to calm him down. And so Saul actually sends for David to come because he knew he was a talented heart player. But it also says that Saul heard he was a brave warrior, had good judgment. I'm not making this up. A fine-looking young man who the Lord was with. All right. Get that guy. Bring him here. All right. That's what he wants. He wanted somebody. And so Saul, after, serving, uh, after David was serving in Saul's court for a while, he actually, uh, Saul sends back to David's father and says, hey, let him remain in my service for I am very pleased with him, like he's doing a good job. Please let him stay longer and keep up this work. And whenever Saul was troubled, David would come and he would play his harp, and it says that it would make Saul feel better. Before Saul was 
I'm sorry, before Saul views David as a threat, he views him as an asset. There's a time coming where he's going to think this man is a threat to him, but right now he views him as an asset. He's a person of value. He's helpful to the king. And and this is where things start to change. The next chapter of the story, uh, you guys have probably heard it before, Israel is fighting the Philistines. They send out their champion, Goliath, all right? And for 40 days, Goliath is taunting God's people. And when David hears about this, uh, he wants to challenge Goliath. And Saul's first response is, you're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. That's what Saul tells David. But David, he's not discouraged. Uh, He persists, and Saul says, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. You guys know the story? David defeats Goliath with a sling and a stone. All right, and the one who Saul described as only a boy, God used to defeat the giant. And when this victorious army was, was coming home, everybody welcomed them, and, and they sang and danced. And the song was this, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This was somebody who was an asset, somebody that he sent for. And it says, this made Saul very angry. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Next, they'll be making him their king. It's almost as if Saul can see that next wave coming. And the next verse says, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. He has a jealous eye on the one God used uh, to calm him down. He has a jealous eye on the one God used to just win a battle for him. He has a jealous eye on the boy that has been serving him. And as this story goes on, Saul's jealousy continues to grow. He urges uh, his servants and his son to kill David. It it continues to grow. Uh, We find out that Jonathan, Saul's son, was great friends with David, and he would tell David whenever Saul had a plan to attack him. And so Saul Saul figures this out, that his son, uh, Jonathan, is helping out David, and he has quite the outburst. This is uh, 1 Samuel 20. Verse 30, it says this, uh, Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled a spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. All right, if we, if we take a step back, we zoom out a little bit, uh, the wave that Saul rode is remarkable. Right? He went from looking for dad's donkeys, hiding in baggage, to being appointed the king thinking, how could it be me? How could I be king? I'm from the smallest tribe. My family isn't important. He went from that to boiling with rage and cursing at his son and literally trying to kill his own son. And why was he doing that? All because someone was going to take the kingship away from his family. Remember the thing he didn't really even want? He was like, me? Someone was going to take that away from him. He was cursing at his son trying to kill him, 
it is amazing how we can forget where we come from. So with all the plans to, to kill him, David is lying low and Israel is in war. While David is lying low, there's this battle. The Israelites battle the Philistines and uh, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in battle. And David, he hears about Saul's death from an Amalekite man. And here's what the, that man said. He said, the king said to me, come over here and put me out of my misery. That's King Saul. Come over here and put me out of my misery, for I am in terrible pain and want to die. So I killed him, the Amalekite told David. For I knew he, would, I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband, and I brought them here to you, my lord. David and his men, when they hear this, they, they tear their clothes in sorrow when they hear the, noise, the news. And then David asks him, why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? And then David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite man and killed him. You have condemned yourself. For you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. And then it goes on to say, David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. And he commanded that everyone, uh, all the people of Judah would learn it. An interesting story. If you, you think about it this way, there's a man who is literally trying to kill you, wants to kill you so bad that he tries to kill his son. And when he finds out that this man has died in battle, he, he, he doesn't rejoice that his attacker has died. He, he weeps that the king is dead. He weeps that God's anointed one, the one that God picked, is gone. Every wave eventually comes to the shore. But there is another wave coming. I tried to think about how, how much different would the story be if Saul, whenever he said, next they'll want to make him king. When he saw that wave coming, what would it look like if instead of trying to hold on to it, he tried to set up David to do greater things? <clears throat> the wave God has sent you on the wave that you're riding right now will one day reach the shore. How can you make sure the next wave is set up to do even greater things? Some of us in this room, we can relate to Saul. All right, you're, you're a little older, uh, a little more experienced. Anybody you relate to Saul a little bit? A little older, a little more experienced? You maybe don't have gray hair. Nobody. Wow, all right, we're all David. Cool. I like to be the hero in the stories too. All right. All right, but hey, uh, if that's you, you're, you're a little older, a little more experienced. I've got uh, four takeaways for you. Uh, the first one is remember your youth. Remember your youth. And like Ruben was saying earlier, I'm not talking about being young. Remember what it was like when you first believed. That feeling of, I can't believe that, that God, Christ, would die for me. Remember your youth. We keep that attitude. It positions us for a much greater impact. The second thing is encourage those younger than you. Use your time and energy to pass the torch on and start a fire in the next generation. We spend, too often we spend a lot of time like correcting those younger and telling them what they're doing wrong instead of complimenting their strengths and, and encouraging growth. Uh, Titus 2, six and seven, verses 6 and 7 says this, In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them. By doing good works of every kind, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Um, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever got like a seed of encouragement from someone. Uh, I have this old Bible here. 
my parents just moved, and so I got like a box full of basically crap that they didn't want to hold on to anymore. But this Bible was in it, and that was exciting. Um, and uh, it, it's pretty cool. Like, I had this old Bible. I remember buying it because, like, ooh, it's blue. It's not gold or silver. That's cool. And now I'm like, man, I wish I would have got, like, a normal-looking normal Bible. Uh, but anyways, uh, I, I went through this Bible, and there was only one thing in it. And, and we used to have uh, missionaries, uh, you know, we'd have, like, Sunday night service. We'd have missionaries come through. They'd set up their little booth, and you'd talk to them. You'd have a little Q&A with them. And uh, I, I don't remember this, but apparently I gave a missionary, like, some money. It was probably like five bucks, all right? Just kid. And I probably stole the money from my dad's wallet. Like, it wasn't even mine. Um, but anyways, these missionaries came through, and I, they gave me a little, uh, I gave them a little something, and they, they sent a little note, and it was encouraging, and it was like, maybe someday you can come and visit us. And it just, uh, it, it just a little note of encouragement, kind of a nice little thing uh, from them to me. Uh, maybe someday you'll come and visit us. Uh, just keep doing, uh, keep God first, keep doing the right thing. And um, that's from our pastors here, Ray and Christy. And it's kind of crazy how uh, I didn't know that this Bible still existed. I didn't know that the only thing in here was this note from our pastors. And I certainly didn't know, and they didn't know, that there would be a day where we'd be serving God together here. I did get to go to Costa Rica. I did get to see the ministry that they had there. How cool is that? And you know, I open this Bible, and I get that, and it's like, wow, that little seed of encouragement now is like blossoming into something. I was like, man, that is so cool to me now. Encourage those younger. You don't know what God can do. If when you plant a seed of encouragement, you don't know how God can show up. You don't know what he can do with it. So don't rob someone of a blessing. If you think something nice about someone, tell them, right? You can do it. All right, so the first thing is remember your youth. Encourage those younger than you. Uh, the third thing is accept that your wave will end. Knowing that one day your wave ends, ends, it motivates us to engage and pass on God's truth. Instead of holding on to what God's given us, we can gladly pass it to those behind us. Uh, lastly, we can learn from those younger than us. You know, you'd be amazed at how much you can learn from kids and youngins if you just let them uh, teach you. Um, my son Cooper and I, uh, we went to a Thunder game a while back, and uh, I, our kid, like, I don't know, if maybe this is just being a parent, I'm getting like super, uh, I cry a lot, I don't know, maybe it's just being a parent, like my kids make me cry a lot, um, but Cooper and I went to Thunder game, and, uh, and we're driving to the game, and coming off the highway, we hit the green light, we turn the corner, and there's a, there's a homeless man, he, he's sitting there on the side of the road, and I mean, we, we passed by you know, really quick, and it's, it's a cold night, and he just asked me, why, why is that man out there, and I was like, well, you know, uh, he, he doesn't have a home, that, that's, that's, that's just where, where he is, <coughs> and uh, Coop says, you know, it, it's cold, yeah, yeah, buddy, it, it is cold, uh, why doesn't he have a home, uh, I, I'm not sure why he doesn't have a home, this is somebody who saw for maybe 10, 10, 15 seconds max. I mean, driving by. And he's just in the back seat kind of like not, he's, he's upset. I mean, he's not like crying, but he just is like this, it hit him like a wave. Like there's a real, this realization that not everyone has a home to protect them from uh, the elements. And at this point, we're like halfway to the arena. Like we're super close to the arena. And I'm like, okay, Coop, 
uh, you just want to pray for him? And he's like, yeah. And um, the things that that did for my soul, I can't explain. Here, my five-year-old in the back seat asked that God would give that man a house to protect him from the cold, uh, to give the construction workers a job, which I wasn't expecting him to pray for that, and give them a job and the tools that they need so they can build him uh, not just a house, but they can build him a good house to keep him safe. Um, so I'm just sitting there cutting onions, driving to the arena, the arena the rest of the way. Because um, there, there's a point where seeing people on the street became normal to me. Seeing people in the cold like that, that just, as bad as it is, I got callous to it. And I think we're all there sometimes. There are things that this world is rough and it's tough. And there are things that the older you get, the more calloused and harder we get to those things. But we shouldn't. My eyes couldn't see it for what it was, and yet uh, my five-year-old could. And that next generation, the wave behind you, they may not be conditioned to the roughness of this world. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. When When those younger don't see things the way we do, that's an opportunity for us to learn and have compassion. Uh, the older we get, we get more callous. Uh, <clears throat> we get callous to the, those who are in need around us. And yet, when we read the gospel, it's the story of God coming to do for a people that which they could not do for themselves. Those are my four takeaways. Remember your youth. Encourage those younger than you. Accept that your way will end and learn from those younger than you. Uh, if you're here and you identify more with David, a little younger, a little younger, all right, a little less experienced, wow, nobody, nobody for either one. This is the good guy. You can raise your hands for this one, right? Uh, I've got something for you guys. i got some takeaways for you guys, too. The first one is honor those older than you. Listen and learn from their experiences. Um, you know, I had the benefit of having an older brother, and I think that made me a better uh, person because I saw him get in trouble instead of me getting in trouble. Any, any younger siblings can attest that your older siblings helped you out? Yeah, all right. I, learned, I saw him get a whooping, and I was like, I don't want a whooping, all right? I'm not going to do that. Uh, honor those older than you, all right? Learn from their experiences. 1 Timothy 5.1 says, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. All right, remember, David didn't relish in the position of king coming open, all right? He mourned the loss of God's appointed one. Honor those ahead of you. That's the first takeaway. And the second takeaway is this. Your wave is coming. Don't rush it, right? It's coming. God's timing is perfect. Rest in it. If you you go back to the story, David had several times where he could have uh, taken out Saul. I mean, like several times. Like he goes into a cave to go to the bathroom, and he doesn't know he's in there. That's a pretty vulnerable moment, all right? You could have done it, and it's the guy who's coming after you. He could have been justified. But no, he trusted God and God's timing. Don't rush it. Your wave is coming. It's not about starting your legacy. It's about carrying on God's legacy. Uh, so I have three questions for everyone this week. Just kind of some, some thought-provoking questions. Who can I encourage this week? Who can you encourage this week? When you plant a seed of encouragement, you don't know what God can do with it. Next one is, how close is my wave to the shore? How close is your wave to the shore? Every wave eventually gets there. 
And the third question is, am I leaving my legacy or am I carrying on God's? Am I leaving my legacy or am I carrying on God's? Um, so who can I encourage this week? How close is my wave to the shore? And am I leaving my legacy or am I carrying on God's? As we wrap up our time together, uh, I really ask that you take a moment and consider uh, the wave that God sent for everyone to engage. Everyone. People inside this room, people outside this room. The wave that he wants everyone to ride, and that is his son, Jesus. He loved you so much that he died for you. And he did that so that you could have a relationship with him. Uh, if, if you've rode that wave, if you know it, don't forget how much God loves you, what, how much he gave for you. And if you don't know Jesus, man, he loves you so much. He, he loves you so much that he died for you. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, we'll pray. God, I thank you for uh, the waves that you send our way. I thank you for Jesus. God, help us to carry on your legacy. Help us to not make it about us, but God, that we would point people to you. Help us to engage the, the next generation with your truth so they can carry on your legacy. While your eyes are still closed, uh, is there anybody here who would just say, I, I don't know Jesus? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I, I don't know Jesus. I've never rode that wave. Anybody? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. God, I thank you for everybody that's here. I thank you for what you did on the cross for us. God, I pray that we would, God, we would encourage those around us. We would realize our shore is, our, our wave is eventually going to come to the shore. And God, that we would carry on your legacy, not try to leave our own. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.